Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we continue our study into the book of Revelation. And I am uh, most excited this evening to welcome Debbie Rosales uh, in studio with me, her second time with me in the study on the book of Revelation. So, Debbie, great to have you with me another evening. I'm so happy to be here. So, Debbie, we are in chapter 12. As we have prepped chapter 12 with Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant, as yesterday we talked about Our Lady of Guadalupe, certainly in chapter 12, um, we have this imagery that evokes Our Lady of Guadalupe. Before we go there and get into our principal subject matter as it relates to Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant, I responded to a question yesterday, and there was a follow-up question to the original question. And the original question was, does all of this rich symbolism and imagery dilute the message of love? Why doesn't the book of Revelation be more specific and be uh, more simple, if you will? My response to that was, well, once we understand the book of Revelation as a book on the liturgy, and once we understand that the liturgy is about our courtship with God, then no, it, it shouldn't convolute. In point of fact, as we talked about yesterday, Debbie, every single courtship celebrates love with rich imagery, with rich symbolism. And certainly in the Catholic Church, we do this in a liturgy, right? With all of its beautiful imagery, with all of its beautiful symbolism. And and why the imagery? Why the symbolism? Because all of those images, all of those symbols signify a deeper reality. In the same way we do things in our courtship with one another that signifies our love for one another, this is what the Catholic Church does in the liturgy. Now, the follow-up question is, can everyone comprehend what the book of Revelation is all about? And my response to that is, God meets us how he makes us and walks with us as he is, right? No matter where we are at, Debbie, in our journey of faith, he is going to take us by the hand and he's going to lead us into his most sacred heart. And part of that process is revealing to us through our diligent study, right, what some of these images and symbols mean, so that we can grasp the beauty of his love. I mean, is not the book of Revelation, although it be cryptic at times, beautiful, yeah. right? Daunting, yes, but yeah. also beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, attractive. And this is what love does. It communicates itself in such a way that it draws you in. And so my challenge to our listeners this evening, really, Debbie, is to roll up your sleeves, and no matter where you are, are at in your faith, with commentaries, with concordances, work in the tall grass, and get to know our Lord. Get to know what John was intending to communicate. Come to appreciate and understand the kind of literary genre he was using, this diabolical genre that he was using, so as to communicate the richness of his love. And pick up a book and do so with what we were talking about here, so as to appreciate again the significance of the book of Revelation, that in fact, yeah, we are all called to study the book of Revelation, to study sacred scripture, so as to come to know our God, who is deeply in love with us, who is deeply in love with us. I was going to say, and you know, before we come to scripture, all of us 
remember to say a prayer to the Holy Spirit. Amen. And and ask our, our Lord Jesus to sit beside you and help mm. you reveal what he what do you want me to see? This is a love letter to me. I'm part of the church. So what is it, Lord, you want me to see in this passage as we, you know, delve into it here and I have my really good um concordance or commentary. You know, Joe turned me on to a really great commentary by Peter Williamson. I highly recommend it. It's very doable. Um, but remember to pray to the Holy Spirit and and have Jesus sit alongside you because that's that's the instruction that they want to give you is from them to you mm-hmm. personally as well as what the church is giving us. So don't get bogged down, mm-hmm. you know, and having to know everything. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you talk about prayer and the invocation of the Holy Spirit because it's so important. Debbie, as we talked about yesterday evening... John was under the influence of the Holy Spirit, right? Exactly. Literally, as he writes in the book of Revelation, he was caught up in the Spirit. So he's not going to understand what he has seen unless he is caught up in the Holy Spirit. Right. And yeah, bring Jesus into this. Yes. What does he say? I call you my friend. Call him your friend. Take him by the hand. Let him take yours. Mm -hmm. And uh, let him guide you in this, I like the way you put that, Debbie, love letter, this this letter that, yes, is difficult to understand at times, sure. but we need to go deeper. Mm-hmm. You know, today is the solemnity of all saints, yep. right? And the second reading was drawn from the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm sitting there in the pew uh, today, Debbie, and I'm listening to this, this reading and thinking to myself, as an isolated text, there are a lot of people in this pew that are probably scratching their heads. Now, the priest did a good job of explaining it in his homily, but it's a hard thing to do when it is isolated from its context. And I don't know if there's any one book that is uh, more difficult to understand when it is isolated from its context right. than the book of Revelation. Sure. And so this, again, is why we have been moving through this book verse by verse. Methodically. Yes, so as to appreciate how one verse sets up the next verse and ultimately how one chapter sets up the next chapter and how this book is to be understood as a whole. Okay, so that being said, we are at the end of chapter 11, going in at the beginning of chapter 12. And uh, maybe, Debbie, if you can just read those first few verses. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant could be seen in the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a violent hailstorm. A great sign appeared in the sky a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child and wailed aloud in pain as she labored to give birth. Amen. Thanks, Debbie. I don't know about you, Debbie, but when I hear chapter 11, verse 19, I'm going to have to make a confession. I think of Indiana Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh not only comes to my mind, but it does so in a particular context. Because when they open up the ark, what do you have? Well, what is just described? What's interesting in Indiana Jones, the movie itself, is how George Lucas grasps, either intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know, the holiness that abides in the Ark of the the Old Covenant. You know, we're going to talk about 
Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant, but to appreciate that, we must first understand the significance of the Ark of the Old Covenant, right? I mean, right. what was in the Ark of the Old Covenant? Well, the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. right? The, right. The, the tablets, a stone, the manna, right? Okay, and then also Aaron's staff, mm-hmm. right? So you have the Eucharist, you have the priesthood, and of course you have the law of the of the covenant. Now, what's significant for us is to also appreciate that nothing ritually unclean could touch the Ark. So, for example, when one particular figure in the Old Testament yeah. uh, by the name of Uzziah, Uzziah. Right? Oh, Uzziah, Uzziah goes to catch the ark from falling into the mud, right? That's what she would do instinctually, huh? Sure. What happens to, what happens to Uzziah? <laughs> yeah, because he was not ritually clean. Yeah. It's interesting if you were to go into, I believe it's 2 Samuel, the Philistines take the ark from the Israelites and the glory of God left the Israelites. Why? Well, because the ark of the covenant was stolen. What's interesting is that the Philistines had to return it because once they stole it, all the Philistines got all these tumors, okay? So the Ark of the Covenant... It was like a hot potato. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) there you go. So there was something holy Mm. about the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because within it was the presence of God, the presence of God. It's interesting, in the threefold deportation of the Israelites into Babylon and during the Babylonian exile... the, the Ark of the Covenant was lost, and it was this national tragedy. Oh, sure. I mean, maybe for us here in the United States of America, if you are listening to this podcast, United States of America, um, we might equate this with something like, oh, I don't know, um, the Constitution. I mean, imagine if the Constitution was stolen, mm-hmm. right? What would we do? Well, we would be freaking out, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> to put it plainly. And of course, the Constitution as it is the heart of the law of the United States of America and, and so important uh, to the fabric of who we are, it's not an ark, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. And yet it would be a tragedy. Uh, why do I talk about this? Because we should begin to appreciate the importance of the ark as it relates to the Israelites. Because mm-hmm. when John sees this at the end of chapter 11, and then, and then sees a woman, what are we made to think? Mm-hmm. I know we have a commentary that is going to help us out to not only help us understand and help us appreciate, but hopefully, hopefully encourage, at the very least, a deeper understanding of Mary herself. It's a beautiful reflection um, that this author um, looks at the visitation and ties it to the Old Testament story of uh, David bringing back the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Um, It says, One tradition that Luke draws upon is from 2 Samuel. He intentionally sets up the subtle but significant parallels between Mary's visitation with Elizabeth and David's effort to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel. So you can write down those little references. Luke tells us that Mary arose and went into the Judean hillside to visit her kinswoman. And he reminds us how David also arose and went to that same region, centuries earlier, to retrieve the ark. It is upon Mary's arrival that Elizabeth is struck by a sense of awe and unworthiness before Mary. That same feeling that David felt as he was standing in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Parallels continue as joy surrounding this great encounter causes the infant John in Elizabeth's womb to leap with joy. Just as David was dancing with excitement before 
the Ark of the Covenant. I just, I love, I love that that's image. A, is just, it's a beautiful, isn't be- it gorgeous? Yeah, it really uh, is. Finally, Luke adds that Mary stayed at the house of Zechariah for three months, a parallel of the Ark of the Covenant, temporarily stationed in the house of Obed-Edom for a waiting period of three months, a little more hot potato there mm-hmm. um, in the story. Taken together, the parallels show us that Mary now assumes a role in salvation history that was once played by the Ark of the Covenant. Like this golden chest, she is a sacred vessel where the Lord's presence dwells intimately with his people. Little wonder the church's liturgical and theological traditions have so often described Mary as the Ark of the Covenant, the New Covenant. This vision is not merely the fruit of mystical speculation from a later age. Mm. It is already embedded within the infancy narratives of Luke's gospel. Amen. I love that. Embedded within the infancy narrative. So what is uh, the commentary saying there? Ultimately, (laughs) Luke wants us to see something. Mm -hmm. Remember, Luke was the one who was probably alongside of John closest to Mary. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone might ask, how might have Luke known about this? Well, it was probably because Mary herself would have told him. Huh? Sure. So he strategically, remember, he's a doctor, so he's going right. to think systematically, structurally. Mm-hmm. He strategically goes through the narrative that comes to us from uh, the story of David so as to reveal to us that Mary is Ark of the New Covenant. And, and yeah, I mean, the Word was made flesh mm-hmm. and dwelt among us. So the word was flesh inside Mary's womb. So true manna from heaven was inside Mary's womb. And also the high priest, we could say, was inside Mary's womb. So there you have Mary as Ark of the New Covenant. Now, this just doesn't come to us randomly, as you talked about there in the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were some early Christian teachers, Debbie, that talked about this. One of note is St. Methodius. He says this, For if to the Ark which was the image and type of thy sanctity, such honor was paid of God that to no one but to the priestly order only was the access to open or ingress allowed to behold it. What sort of veneration is due to, the, to thee from us who are creation of the least, to thee who art indeed a queen, to thee the living ark of God, the lawgiver to thee, the heaven that contains him who can be contained of none. For since thou, O holy virgin, hast dawned as a bright day upon the world and hast brought forth a son of righteousness, that hateful whore of darkness has been chased away. So there you have St. Methodius reflecting Debbie into the Ark of the New Covenant, Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant. You also have St. Ephraim referred to Mary in hymns as the Ark of the New Covenant. You also have St. John Damascene, another important preacher in the early Christian church, referred to Mary's role as the New Ark. Uh, and he actually gave a nod to Second Samuel. I should say, for those of you who are really interested in, in delving deeper into this, Archbishop Fulton Sheen was probably the one since the first Christian teachers to really get into this, and he gets into the elaborate Greek and shows the seamlessness between the Old Testament Greek and the New Testament Greek as it relates to, uh, Debbie, what you were just talking about there. So all very important as we reflect into who Mary is, as an intercessor and as as one who contains within her the presence of God. And is this not the archetype, Mm. if you will, of what it means to be a Christian, to to hold the presence of God within us so that we might come to understand 
the significance of the gift that has come to us in Jesus Christ so as to better live out the task to serve Jesus Christ, to hold the presence of God within you. I remember I was talking about this subject matter with my wife, the subject matter of Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant, and she was reflecting into how powerful it was for her because, of course, you know, we have four children, and what it does to a woman to have life within you, how powerful that is. I don't know, Debbie, if, if you can speak to that as, at all, of mm. course, bearing four children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just the power of, of what it does to you as a woman, and then to kind of reflect into that as it relates to maybe some of the things Mary might, might have been reflecting into as it relates to her being the mother of God. Powerful. I don't think there is a more sacred thing that a woman can participate in mm. Beautiful. than motherhood. Mm. You know, you become a co-creator. I mean, it gives me goosebumps with Almighty God in bringing a soul to earth. Uh, <laughs> it chokes me up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's just And it's so I can totally say, gosh, I'm not worthy. I think every mother can feel that sense of, wow, can I do this? Can I, can I uh, return them to him as they came to me? Mm. So we're given this incredible responsibility, but blessing and grace um, of bringing these little souls to earth. Mm. And, you know, you think about all of a sudden you're really conscious of your diet and what you're putting inside. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's, it's something really real happens. It's, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm no longer going to be drinking caffeine and coffee because that's not good for the baby. Yeah. Well, we don't think of that for our own selves, do we? No, no. You know, I, I didn't want to eat a bunch of sugar. I, you know, I exercised, I got plenty of rest and you're nurturing in this physical way and speaking to the baby in a spiritual way to nurture and love, even in utero. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I think of, uh, of Mama, I think of Mama Mary, and um, her the purity that she already had going into this incredible event mm -hmm. where she was hosting the Redeemer yeah, inside yeah. of her. Yeah. And did you feel unworthy, Mom? Yeah. You know? Yeah, did you feel... Yeah. Um, like so many of us, I, I was so close to Mary during those months Amen. of pregnancy. Amen. You use the phrase giving to God. What I hear in that is offering and how mm -hmm. Mary would have gone through that same thing. Yes, the I am, un, I am not worthy. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's part of her inquiry in her yeah. dialogue with the angel exactly. Gabriel. I know not man. And it's yeah. like, why me? Exactly. You know, and well, you have found favor, right? Yeah. You have found favor. And to some degree, we have all found favor, and not to the likes of, of course, Mary as the mother of God and, and immaculately conceived, but certainly, you put it well, all women share in this co-creation, and in doing so, you have to offer your child to God. So Mary plays a unique role in offering because she is offering to God the God-man, right? Yes, right, <laughs> The right. Son of God, and, and how profound, and I remember Billy Graham on one occasion, was in front of 60,000 people. And he's in the middle of this talk. He's talking about the Annunciation and the spiritual, practical lessons to be gained from the Annunciation. And he just kind of stopped. And he said to all of his fellow Christians, this is Billy Graham, mm -hmm. I think we need to start giving Mary more due. I remember this. 
I think mm-hmm. we need to start giving Mary more It was due. a big ruffle. Yeah, why? Because he himself was reflecting into the magnitude, yeah. right, of what must have taken place. And that for all eternity, <laughs> for all eternity, God was contemplating that moment. Mm-hmm. That moment, as St. Bonaventure once said, all of heaven gasped because they did not know what she would say, mm-hmm. right? Because Mary had free will. She could have said no, like sure. Eve. Right. She had to consent. Yes. So just as Eve said no and was the instrumental cause to the loss of grace, so Mary, as the new Eve, the new Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. would become the instrumental cause in the restoration of grace. And so in the light of that, we are made to appreciate the uniqueness of her discipleship in her yes and the way in which she was constantly mediating the presence of God. What did she say? I I mentioned this yesterday, Debbie, at the wedding feast at Cana. Do whatever he tells you. Mm -hmm. The last words we have of Mary recorded in Scripture. Do whatever he tells you. So mediation. Mediation is very important. Now, I talk about this because certainly in the book of Revelation, we have another important point to be had. She was crowned with 12 stars. Mm -hmm. Mary, rightfully, was crowned because she was, well, (laughs) the mother to a king, right? right? She She was was royalty. Yes, she was queen. She was queen. And uh, we just talked about the relationship between the old and the new, and there's another very important point to be had that, once again, as the commentary put it so beautifully, is embedded in the sacred text because, Debbie, in the visitation, you actually already read the verse. Elizabeth says to Mary... And she's very specific, and Luke wants us to see this. Be certain of it. Why is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, Debbie, if I'm reading this in the first century, what I hear in that phrase, mother of my Lord, Mm -hmm. is the title given to the queen mother, right? The mother to the king. Mm -hmm. Now, within the context of the kingdom of David, which is front and center, right, in Mm -hmm. the Gospels, that is widely important. Why? Well, if you go back into the kingdom of David, the mother of the king had a very important role. Mm -hmm. And that role and identity was highlighted by that title, which in the Hebrew is Gabita, mother of my Lord, mother of my Lord. So we see uh, in the Old Testament, Queen Esther, Mm -hmm. uh, Queen Bathsheba, Mm -hmm. these mothers of kings taking on this role of intercession. And in both cases, Queen Esther and Queen Bathsheba, in the intercession, the king adheres to the, the mother's request right. and ultimately the queen mother's fulfilling her role. So why is this important? Well, it's to suggest at the very least that Mary has an important role in the kingdom of David, right? right? Um, and why she is crowned. This isn't Debbie and Joe speculating. No. This is something that is embedded in the text. And when you start to break open the Greek, it's clear. And um, the Holy Spirit is wanting us to see that just as The mother of the king had a role in the Old Testament, right, in the kingdom of David. So she does in the New Testament, in the new kingdom of David. And I want to just give you a scripture that you can go to um, yourself here. It's 1 Kings 2. It's the story between uh, Solomon and Bathsheba. We have Adonijah um, coming to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And it's a beautiful story of him asking her to intercede for him Mm -hmm. before her son, the king. Please read this, brothers and sisters. Why don't um, you go ahead, Debbie? Why don't you go ahead and read it? We got time? Yeah, we have time. Go ahead and read that. All right. So Adonijah came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, 
Do you come in peace, she asked. In peace, he answered. I love that. Mm. I have something to say to you. And she replied, speak. So he said, you know that the kingship was mine and all Israel expect me to be king. But kingship passed by me and went to my brother. By the Lord's will, it went to him. But now there is one favor I ask. Do not refuse me. And she said, speak on. He said, please ask King Solomon, who will not refuse you, to give me Abishag the the Sunamite to be my wife. Bathsheba replied, very well, I will speak to the king for you. So then Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king stood up to meet her and paid her homage. Think on that for a minute. She came in. Mm-hmm. And in classic antiquity, the king stood up. Stood up, right? The king stood up, and and I want to go back Sign to, of to respect. yes, to go back to something else here before you finish that, mm-hmm. Debbie. Take note of what Adonijah said. He said, "He will not refuse you," which yes. suggests clearly she's been interceding, and clearly he has been granting the request. Yeah, this right? is exactly. Yeah, he will not refuse you. <laughs> So can you please There's some history here. Yeah, there's a reason why I'm going to you right now. It's because he finds favor in you. Right. And now again, this was part of the way in which, ritually speaking, the queen mother would intercede. It was one of her roles for yeah. certain. Then he sat down upon his throne, and a throne was provided for the king's mother who sat at his right. And she said, there is one small favor I would ask of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, ask it, my mother for I will not refuse you. Amen. It continues, and yes, he grants her that. Yeah. But those verses are so rich. Brothers and sisters, please, you know, take that. First King, chapter 2, and it's the story starting at 12 and, and onward. So a lot to reflect on there. And I would go back to what you said from the outset, Debbie. Invoke the presence of the Holy please. Spirit. Read that with an open heart. You know, and, and I would echo Billy Graham. In the light of these verses, do we need to not start paying Mary due honor? And if you go to 1 Timothy 2.5 and say there's only one mediator between God and man and Jesus Christ, please understand that Paul reminds us himself in 1 Corinthians 3.5, we are co-workers in the building up of the kingdom right. of God. We all, we all part- have a role. We all participate in that mm-hmm. one mediation. Because remember, we are all baptized and incorporated into the body of Christ. So we are called to share. Every day we go to one another. Can you pray for me? Yep. We did it. We did it this morning. Yes. Why do we do that, Debbie? Because we share in that mediation. Mm -hmm. This is a baptismal vocation. Right. So yes, Paul, of course, is right in that pastoral epistle when he says there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And what's more, we share in that mission. Right. Paul reminds us in Colossians 124, Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3, 14. There's so many other verses that, mm-hmm. that remind us that we are participators. That is to say, we have a part to play, right, in the mediation. And Mary had a unique part to play. And in the order of the kingdom of David, an all more important part to play as she is granted this unique intercession. She is not a deity. She is not a goddess. Nope. She is one that simply has a very unique relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, let's close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, 
Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.